How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 179 of X-Lapsed, where uh, I need to start with a disclaimer here. Um, I'm not sure how many folks listen to the Generation X-Lapsed show that I have going on Sundays for the time being. Uh, if the numbers are anything to go by, uh, not terribly many people are interested in X. Um, I'm sorry, Generation X. But when I opened that show, um, I had mentioned that... Uh, I might sound a little bit uh, grunty uh, in these next few days here. I threw my back out uh, the other day, and uh, it's getting a little bit better in as far as uh, the pain is concerned. It's a little duller than, uh, than it was uh, at the outset. Unfortunately, it's also uh, resulting in spasming. So um, if I sound weird, I'm going to try to edit everything out that sounds weird, but if I miss something where I sound like a little grunty... Well, that is why. So, uh, with all that said, uh, we've got a pretty big episode today here. Um, we're going to be talking about a comic, and we're also, since this is the first of the month, we're going to be taking a look at the previews catalog for next month. So I will stop a-doing for now and uh, get right into it. Today we're going back to King in Black. This is Sword Volume 2, Number 4, had a May 2021 cover date. Stories called The Krakoan Sun, written by Al Ewing, with art by Valerio Shidi. Colors, Marty Gracia. Letters, VCs, Ariana Marr. Designs, Tom Muller. Head of X is Hickman. Edits, Bisa White Sapolsky. Cover price, $3.99. Went on sale St. Patrick's Day, March 17th of 2021. Now we open with Frenzy floating through the symbiote void. She treats this as though she's in one of those, like, Weightless, senseless uh, egg thingies that we see like rich people go into on TV Those sensory deprivation chambers, you know From here, we hop outside where Corrupted Cable uh, rants a whole lot uh, He calls this land anti-Krakoa And he really uh, takes interest in making fun of Manifold um, Well, just wait until he sees him in his Hellfire Gala outfit now, as this is going on, the symbiote goop devours Sunfire and Fabian Cortez, so they're dead. How about that? Next up, double-page spread of Roll Call and Cred. We got quite a few characters here. Frenzy, Manifold, Fabian Cortez, Abigail Brand, Wizkid, Mentalo, Hope, Egg, Tempest, Elixir, Proteus, Magneto, and Cable. And uh, the five in the midsection there, uh, they're just kind of going to stand around. One of them's going to get to talk, but... Uh, the rest of them are just going to stand around, as they tend to do. Next stop, Sword Station 1. And if uh, you're a regular listener to this program, you might recall that our friend Damien wrote in a little bit ago to express that he didn't care much for uh, Abigail Brand. And I sort of kind of came to her defense. Well, um, 
I would like to officially rescind my previous testimony because in this scene, she is the worst. Uh, here, Brand talks as though she is the smartest person in the room, and, uh, well, the other person in that room is Wizkid, so she's kind of delusional. Wizkid is still trying to figure out how to get a signal to Krakoa, and he asks if he can travel down there to get a closer look. To which, Brand says that she needs him where he'll do the most good, and for now, she'd really like to rely on her ace-in-the-hole, Mentalo. And so it goes. Over to the hatchery, where Mentalo is attempting to rescue-slash-kidnap the Five. Thing of it is, the Five ain't having it. And I mentioned that the four of the Five just kind of stand around, right? And I, uh, I'm getting a kick out of seeing uh, Tempest in the background of these scenes with the Five, because... It's almost as though she knows she's just X-Men wallpaper at this point, and she's trying her best to make every second of panel time count. I mean, here, she's posed, like, semi-seductively on the canon of Mentalo's think tank here. It's very, very silly, and it's like, oh, look at that. Uh, the gimmick here is that Brand has a plan in mind for the five if worse should come to the worst. And it's really not a terrible plan at all. It's just that... Uh, She's so up her own ass that she doesn't feel the need to explain things at the outset. Mentalo puts Hope Summers in contact with Brand in order to get a sit rep. Now, Brand advises that Mentalo will bring the five to Summer House to nab their Cerebro Cradle. Then, they'll head into Shi'ar space, because Lord knows it's been way too long since we've been there, hasn't it? There, DNA samples, including some of Mr. Sinister's, will be brought to the five. You see where this is going? Mentolo will perform the Professor X function of downloading memories into the new bodies that Hope and the gang grow. And uh, Hope is not digging this idea. Even though, I mean on the face of it, it kind of makes sense. You see, if Null truly devours the Earth and everyone on it, this could be one way to begin rebuilding. Now, Hope refuses to leave Krakoa, stating that their mission is to bring back every mutant. And then she brings up how they're still reeling from the Rockslide and Gorgon situations, which uh, you'd think we'd actually have heard and seen more about since X of Tens, but uh, we have not. Brand isn't really all that interested in the preservation of Krakoa nor mutantum. She, as we've seen uh, before during her contentious chat with Magneto back in the first issue of the series, she views this more as a universal situation. So, to her mind... This uh, King and in Black invasion here is far bigger than Krakoa, bigger than mutantum, even bigger than Earth. It's universal. And I tell you, that fits the character that we're going with here, so I will definitely give it that. Hope then makes fun of uh, Mentalo's silly tank. You know, but then Wizkid shows up. He claims to have uh, come via translocator that he had uh, built into his chair rather than going through a Krakoan gate, as he believes the gates have been compromised. And I could have sworn that this sort of thing was frowned upon by the Quiet Council. And what I'm getting at is here, um, using methods other than the gates to arrive on Krakoa. Maybe this is something that'll uh, be built on as, uh, as we move forward here. Who knows? Now, the symbiotic goop begins to seep into the hatchery, which threatens to consume all the gold balls. Wizkid then takes control of the think tank and transforms it into a giant mech. We shift scenes to somewhere else on the island where corrupted Kid Cable is still chatting up and mocking Manifold. Noel Cable refers to Manifold as the Everywhere Man, 
but points out that no matter how powerful he is, he's not an Omega, which is to say there are plenty of people better than him, plenty of people his better. Uh, Then they fight. Manifold swipes and cable body slides, and this goes on for several pages. Finally, Frenzy's able to escape the goop and sneak up on Knable? Null Cable? I guess we can call him Knable. She tears his left arm off, which houses his body slide technology. Knable then tells her that he'll make her kill everyone she loves. To which, she says she's only ever loved one person. And if that one person felt the same way as her, Cable would be her stepson. Wow. A callback to Age of X? And that's not Age of X-Man. This is Age of X, that Mike Carey thing from, like, 12 years ago. Pretty deep cut. I like it. From here, Manifold uses his powers in a pretty unique way. Rather than teleporting away, because if we remember, he's not really a teleporter here. He just speaks to the universe. And so he asks the universe for a favor in the form of uh, getting a tiny bit of sunlight. So he's got a little bit of sun in his hand, which, with which he punches Knable. So he uses this to burn the nullness off a of kid Cable. This takes us to the end, and we get a, uh, we get a dance party scene. Seriously. Uh, the Think Tank is cranking out some undoubtedly bassy tunes and putting on a light show. Uh, you know, this is uh, not only for the entertainment value, but it also is maybe sonic enough to keep the uh, symbiotes at bay, the goop. Now, uh, the five proceed to dance. They have a mutant dance party. Uh, Mentalo smirks and comments that WizKid stole all his records. Now, we actually close out with Magneto beginning to pick up the pieces here. We got Cable off to the side feeling down about himself. And this has been something we've been exploring with Kid Cable for a little while now, and will probably be coming to a head this summer. Magneto asks to have Fabian Cortez's resurrection jump ahead in the queue because he has matters to discuss with him. Huh. Remember, Cortez had some pretty radical things he wanted to present to the council regarding that pesky kill-no-man law. I wonder if Magneto might be starting to, uh, to turn. Hmm. From here we go to an info page. It's a note from Magneto to the Quiet Council about, well, this thing he'd like to discuss. And it's moderately redacted, as many of these pages are. He mentions that the Quiet Council is now down to eight members. But uh, I'm not getting that math. I thought it was officially down to ten. With Apocalypse gone and Jean Grey stepping down, maybe nine, if Storm's already given her notice. I don't know. Uh, There's a handwritten note at the bottom from Professor X who cautions Magneto that what he's planning to do is akin to playing with fire. That's not all, though. We get one more info, info page, and it's almost completely redacted. Like, I don't know what the point of this thing is here. It's an entire page, an entire page full of redacted lines, and we only see three words on it. And they are Vought, like Amelia Vought, Snark War, and Sol, S-O-L. I don't know. I really don't know what that's about. Uh, Though I can tell you, I see Snark War, I I start snore-warring. I have no interest in that. But that is where we leave it. Next episode, we're going to be talking about X-Force, but let's talk about S.W.O.R.D. Now, I have a few takeaways from this issue, but before we get into it here, um, I do want to touch on the King and Black-idness of this uh, story here. 
Now, going into it uh, with these issues of S.W.O.R.D., I was a little bit uh, off-put since we had just introduced this new title and didn't really give it a, any room to breathe before jumping you know, headfirst into a mass crossover event. That said, I think they handled this as well as they possibly could. I'm assuming this was a mandate, um, though maybe it's just a way to uh, you know, kind of hit the ground running with a brand new title here with a... Uh, it didn't have much staying power the last time they tried it, so maybe this is an attempt at giving it, lending it a little bit of a legitimacy, credibility, uh, making it a player in the uh, universe here. But that said, like I said here, this handled it quite well, um, especially if we compare it to something like the Empire time tie-ins, which were garbage for the most part. Uh, here with King and Black, we have a nice little isolated story that... Helps to further our characters here. Um, helps to actually grow the Krakoa story in a way. It's it's about as well done as it possibly could be, given the the constraints of having to take part in this uh, in this crossover. So definitely a thumbs up for that. Now let's talk about some takeaways here. Um, we'll start with Magneto and Fabian Cortez here. Now, Fabian Cortez, as as we saw over the past couple of issues here, he seems to have a real sticking point about the Kill No Man edict here. And he approached Magneto about talking to him uh, in order to uh, maybe plead his case to maybe put in some exemptions or overturn it completely. And Magneto kind of just went, uh-huh, you know, kind of dismissed him. And uh, here, I'm not sure exactly what changed, but... Uh, but now he's kind of uh, interested in talking to Cortez. I wonder if we're going to see a uh, quiet council meeting with Fabian Cortez uh, pleading his case before long, uh, especially with the backing of Magneto. I think this could be quite interesting here. If nothing else, hopefully we can at least get a little bit of clarification if it's kill no man or kill no human. Because uh, as I mentioned, just about every time this law comes up, it's very, very nebulous, and it's usually story-specific. Whatever is uh, needed for the story to make sense and not break any rules here, that's the way it goes by. Uh, the one I'm always reminded of is, is uh, the Hickman-Shiar story over in uh, New Mutants, where Magic asks those aliens, like, are you human? No. Okay, then I can kill you. And I remember bringing up then that... Uh, that the law was actually kill no man, not kill no human. I don't know how they're using that. Maybe we'll get some. Uh, maybe we'll get some clarification. Should Fabian Cortez uh, be able to uh, address the council with his concerns? Another takeaway here: Cable. Cable himself here. He uh, comes away from this seeing himself uh, as quite weak. He was able to be co-opted by Null and uh, the symbiote Goop. And uh, that's something we're dealing with a lot over in Cable's own book, where, you know, uh, if you followed the Ex-Lapsination series of shows on this channel, um, you'll know that Kid Cable came back to take out Old Man Cable because he thought Old Man Cable was doing a pretty poor job maintaining and uh, kind of guiding the timeline here, keeping the original five time-displaced kids in the present day. And so he took him out. And here... We've had him mention over in the Cable Solo book here that he kind of second-guesses himself here. Like, he'll see a situation in which he doesn't he doesn't react as well as he thinks he should have, or, or the reaction that he has doesn't have quite the result that he had hoped for. 
and he stopped and he thought, yeah, maybe I, maybe the other guy was better than, than me at this. Maybe I need that experience. Maybe there's a reason why Old Man Cable was acting the way he was. And I like that they're doing that. I mean, we even saw it in, uh, in Exitens, where Cable had to fight uh, Bay the Blood Moon and uh, was unable to give the killing blow because he got a, you know, he got a glimpse of uh, Bay's husband, Doug Ramsey's face, and couldn't follow through, couldn't do his appointed task here, which I think bought him a lot of respect for the old man Cable, knowing that uh, there's a little bit of gray area in there. There's feelings, there's emotions. It's not just, this is your purpose, go do it. There are people You know, there are hearts and minds and uh, emotions, and I think Cable realized, Kid Cable realized that around then. Um, We also have Kid Cable drawing the Fool card from uh, Saturnine uh, at the outset of the battles of uh, X of uh, Swords there. So I think diving into his inferiority complex is a smart way to go here. I mean, I would never imagine that we'd be sympathizing with. Kid Cable at any point because he just seemed like such a like a cocky jerk, <laughs> but here we're getting some depth and we're we're deepening him up, perhaps in you know on the eve of him being taken off the table completely. So uh, I, I think this is a very interesting character arc here, and I'm really looking forward to seeing where it goes. Another takeaway: Manifold's powers here. I made fun of this last issue because uh, it was basically like I'm not a teleporter. But all I do is teleport. <laughs> that was basically the message we got last issue. Whereas here, it's something altogether different here. We learn that, you know, he doesn't teleport. He actually does communicate with the universe here, which I think is a really fun angle to play with here because in one regard, it makes him like one of the more powerful mutants on the planet, despite not being an Omega. But at the same time, it gives him a handicap because, I mean, he's at the service of the universe. So even if, like, today we had him draw a piece of the sun or a star, you know, some light from the universe. The universe lent him light so he could punch Null off of, uh, or the Null corruption off of Cable. But is that something he can count on with 100% certainty here? You know, he, I think this is one of those things where, like, you have the Justice League fighting a group of villains, and one of them happens to know magic or have a tap into magic here so they can take Superman off the board, right? Because he's too powerful. And he really doesn't need the rest of the Justice League, you know? He can just go in and do whatever needs done. Here, Manifold, being presented as this incredibly powerful character... He also has this handicap that he kind of has to be in sync with the universe here. He is at he is at the universe's mercy. If he would have went and said, I need a son, or however he would have worded it, I don't know if it's something that is even put into words or just something that he knows he needs to accomplish a mission, the deus ex machina, you know. If he would have talked to the universe here, conversed with the universe and asked for this little piece of the sun or a little star or whatever it was, and the universe said, nah, you know, he would have been stuck. So I, I kind of like this here. I think this is a, a really fun way to explain his powers and also show them in action here. Because, like I said, last, ep- last issue, uh, it was kind of nebulous. It was just like, yeah, I don't teleport, but here I am teleporting. And that's all you're seeing me do. So this is a lot better.
Uh, my final takeaway here is on Abigail Brand. Um, despite the fact that I found her to be quite annoying during this, uh, <laughs> during her brief uh, scene in this book, I do like that they're keeping her characterization in as far as her goals and her mindset and her and her view. Uh, they're keeping that very, very stable. Here we have her saying, this is a bigger crisis than we're giving it uh, credence for. This is not an Earth crisis. This is not a mutant crisis. This is sure as hell isn't a Krakoa crisis. This is a universal crisis. And if the Earth is wiped out here, well, we know there's resurrection technology on Krakoa. We know who's responsible for it. And should we need to to explore that option if the world is wiped out, then that's what we're going to do. You know, I, I like that a lot. It really keeps her uh, keeps her character at like odds with Krakoa while still uh, kind of being in service of Krakoa. I don't know exactly what the relationship is because we do have Magneto as the liaison between Sword and Krakoan government. I don't know if Sword is something like X Force where they're on like another plane, like they don't have to answer to certain protocols, certain rules set by the Quiet Council. Are they like a third-party contractor who really isn't an official, you know, part of this uh, family of, uh, of titles and, and governance? Just don't know. Is Krakoa funding S.W.O.R.D. with all the, uh, the monies coming in from trade and, and medicines? And that might have been made clear and I missed it. That is certainly a possibility. But um, I don't know. I think this, is a, this has the uh, potential of being a very, very interesting thing here. And despite the fact, like I said, Brand was annoying today. Um, it was fitting with her character, and I liked the fact that they kept her kind of steady. Um, uh, the art here by Valerio Shidi, it's its wonderful stuff. Very, very good stuff here. Uh, definitely, definitely liked it. But I think that's about all I got to say about this issue. Um, this is the end of the King in Black arc of sword we're going to something altogether different next time it looks like but it's not the end of uh king and black coverage here on this program we do have at least two more episodes where we're going to be diving into king and black stories uh, it's going to be two issues of savage avengers during which uh we'll have the marauders show up in one issue and we will also have uh the cyclops who laughs and the storm who laughs fighting against conan and deadpool so I look forward to that. It's, uh, it's, it's right around the corner, not too long from now. But uh, that'll do it for the discussion of Sword Number 4. Now let's hop into the mailbag here. We got a letter from Andrew Franklin talking about Children of the Atom Number 1. He starts with, Your episode on Kota had me all kinds of confused. You said that you thought it was about the Chimeras and that you weren't looking forward to it. I also wasn't looking forward to it, but what I thought the book was about was even different from what you thought. I thought that this was the literal children of the X-Men. I mean, of the mutants who were at one time called the X-Men, since we all know there have not been any X-Men for a while. Very, very true. Very, very true. Because if we don't remember that, the writers sure aren't. Andrew continues, I thought this book was kind of an Elseworld, or an A-Next a type of book taking place in a possible near future where the characters were the children of Scott and Jean, Rogue and Gambit, etc. I don't know why I thought this, but I did. And that's not something I really cared about, so I did not read it. Wow, an A-Next reference. Oof. Uh, anybody remember A-Next? That was uh, one of the other books from the uh, MC2 line. 
the MC2 line you might be asking, that's Spider-Girl, the one that appeared in, uh, what was it, What If number 101 or whatever it was, and uh, went off to star in uh, a series of uh, volumes of comics that I think five people read. <laughs> not very many people. This thing was always on the verge of cancellation here, but uh, if not for the loudness of those five fans, it uh, it would have been gone long before it ever was. Now, there was another book, A Next, which was a possible future version of the Avengers. And I might be wrong, but I think, like, Jubilee was the leader of it. I, I, I It's been 25 years since I've read it, probably, or 20-ish years since I've read it. Uh, the other books in that line were J2, which featured the son of Juggernaut. Uh, Fantastic Five was one of them. Um, Spider-Girl, of course. There was also Wild Thing. Featuring the daughter of Wolverine That was really, really bad But I can definitely understand uh, your take These characters all look like You know, amalgamations of uh, Some of our classic characters here So certainly could stand to reason That they were the children of the X-Men And uh, especially after I mean, this thing was supposed to come out over a year ago And uh, I remember the first time it was solicited I didn't even order it Because I thought it was going to be a... I thought it was just going to be like a, a, a miniseries that we didn't need Like it had nothing to do with the Krakoan uh, story The current status quo I thought it was going to be like a retelling of the origin Like they did with, uh, I think it was Joe Casey Did the Children of the Atom miniseries back around the turn of the century I thought it was going to be more like that And they didn't really hype it up um, I, All it was, I don't even think they showed a cover of it on DCBS It was just like Children of the Atom, number one It's like I don't know what that is <laughs> It didn't look like it was something that I needed So I didn't order it And then I found out that it was something that uh, would be tying in So then I ordered it And then it didn't come for 14 months But uh, I could totally understand uh, your, your point of view there uh, Andrew continues When you got to the part where Pixie, Magma, and Maggot showed up I just figured, oh, in this future there are there These are the X-Men and I was then extremely confused when it became clear that this story was happening now And then the kids seemed to not be mutants But then they seemed to be mutants Or did they? Oh boy, I don't know what to make of this book I totally agree I'm not sure where they are going with this here um, uh, Part of me, the, the comic cynic in me Is already like kinda prepared for it to be something Pretty bad <laughs> But uh, I'm optimistic uh, I shouldn't uh, have any reason to doubt uh, Vida Ayala uh, doing great work over in New Mutants. So fingers crossed that this will be this will be a decent payoff. Andrew continues. This must be a limited series, right? Even if it's not solicited as such, if this is about X Men fans trying to be teen heroes, it can't have that much sustainability. This seems more like a side story. But what do I know? Maybe it sells gangbusters and these heroes become Avengers or something. Well, if they become Avengers, then we probably won't have to talk about them anymore Because they'll probably demutantify them, right? Or if they are mutants to begin with, we don't even know I gotta assume that this will be a short-lived book I I hope, I, I kind of hope it is Because, I, I mean, the line is bloated enough as it is We already have a book of, of young heroes here Do we need another? Will this be unique enough to justify its own existence? I mean... I guess we'll wait and see I guess we'll wait and see We know it's uh, being solicited at least through July at this point, I believe So, looks like it's uh, it's probably an ongoing, at least for now 
Andrew wraps up with, I can't say I'm interested enough to buy the series, but I am confused enough about what's going on that I suppose I must say that I'm interested in hearing where it goes. So, until we learn just what the heck the point of this is, make mine X-lapsed. And I feel much the same way. Um, As of right now, only having read one issue, if I weren't a crazy completionist who needs to have everything, I probably wouldn't be continuing this series past wherever I have it pre-ordered to. You know, I I always try to give books a few issues to grow on me here, but judging by just this one alone, I, I think this one... We, we waited for it for so long, right? And everything is being kept close to the vests to the point where it kind of had to sell you in one. The premise, the concept, the characters, the motivations here. I think we I think we needed to know a little bit more. And I'm not sure if it delivered on that. Uh, we add to the fact that they changed the last page in the digital version from the print version. Who could tell what way is up right now? Who knows? I mean... <laughs> Such a last-minute change on a book that's been hyped for over a year. Seems a little weird, and it only made things more confusing, which uh, I really don't know. But uh, thank you so much for writing in about the uh, the Kotas, and we will follow that along as, uh, as long as it goes. So thank you. We have a message from Jesse talking about X-Factor number 8. He says, Hey Chris, I like the idea that iBoy can see the future. It would explain why Xavier is interested in it. I love the North Star no answer to the request for information. I also like the brother and sister reaction between North Star and Aurora at the beginning. Can't wait to see where things will go with David and his obviously still-living self. X-Factor is still giving me what I want. And uh, yeah, I I agree there as well. Um, Now, for folks who haven't listened or read X-Factor number 8 here, we closed out with uh, Professor X given kind of... Well, I guess we couldn't see his eyes. I, I was going to say he gave a side eye to Eyeboy, but uh, he was under the, the Cerebro helmet, so who knows what he was looking at. But he's interested in Eyeboy. He uh, asked Northstar via email if he could keep him apprised of everything going on with Trevor's powers, to which Northstar replied with, No. <laughs> Just no. Because uh, we've seen, as we've been building this book and building this team, that Northstar is a little... Suspicious of the Quiet Council He's not a, he's not completely 100% on board With the Quiet Council And what they do and why they do it So if Xavier is asking for You know, updates and sit reps On iBoy It stands to reason that Northstar is going to be like Nope And uh, one of the Well, we actually posited two theories During the discussion of that issue One of them was that maybe One of his vision powers was seeing the future and we know that precogs are not, they're like a no-fly zone on Krakoa due to, you know, the whole uh, Mora thing, the keeping destiny off the table thing. Another theory that I floated was maybe he could see things that uh, he shouldn't be seeing, or that Professor X would prefer he didn't see. Things like Mora's no place. Would iBoy be able to see that? Eh, stands to reason that it's at least an, at least a possibility. So, really, really cool stuff there. Uh, the opening scene between North Star and Aurora, that was a fun scene. Uh, the only thing that really bugged me about it was the fact that uh, Aurora plopped down on the couch soaking wet. Because that's gross. <laughs> that's really, really gross. Um, now, David, Prodigy, he is doing a lot of uh, forensic work on that photograph of he and uh, Speed making out in a club. And I want to say... 
I tried reading about where this took place. I think that scene took place somewhere in the Empire crossover. I can't say for 100% certainty, but I think that's where that scene was set to play out. And the idea that we're getting here is that there might be two prodigies walking around here. We have this one, the powered one who lives at the Boneyard, and then there might be one that was thought to have died, the depowered version from M-Day, and uh, maybe he didn't die. And maybe he's still around. So we could be having a face-to-face, you know, prodigy-to-prodigy meetup pretty soon. And uh, I, I tell you, I'm really looking forward to it because it's going to... It's going to ask a lot of inconvenient questions. We know that the council and Krakoa as a whole, they, they're not keen on dupes. And here we have a character with powers, and we have the original without powers. So which one gets valued higher by the Quiet Council? It's going to be a very, very interesting thing here. So I'm in total agreement with Jesse here. Uh, X-Factor is still giving me what I want. But uh, thank you so much for writing in to talk about that very fun and uh, potentially challenging issue as we move forward. And now I'm very happy to uh, report that it's been a little while since my back is spasmed, so we can go right into the uh, solicitation coverage here. These are the solicits for June 2021 here. They come from Marvel Free Previews number 10. They're the April for June 2021 shipping product, and the cover features the X-Men. How about that? Uh, specifically, Planet Size X-Men, which is part of the Hellfire Gala. And uh, fair warning, uh, I'm going to be saying the words Hellfire Gala a whole lot over the course of the next several minutes. The uh, back cover of the issue features Heroes Return Number 1, which, meh, you know. Now, the first page of the mag features a neat-looking invitation to the Hellfire Gala. Now, if I had any sort of ability as an event organizer or anything of the sort, I'd suggest that maybe we all try to have a virtual gala of our own this summer. Um, Maybe I'll figure something out, but probably not. We're going to start with a non-Krakoa X-book here, and this is part of the Heroes Reborn story. This is Heroes Reborn Weapon X and Final Flight Number 1 by Ed Brisson and Roland Bashi, $5.00. The uh, byline is, uh, they're the best there is at what they do. And uh, the little blurb reads, In a world without the Avengers, the Squadron Supreme protects and defends the interests of America. But where does that leave a country like Canada? The Great White North is now a wasteland. Their forests are scorched. Their provinces annexed. Their people barely surviving. Who will stand up and protect them from the supremacy of the Squadron? Weapon X in final flight. That's who. I don't think I need that in my life. Um, I think it's safe to say that uh, we will be skipping Heroes Reborn, Heroes Return, um, unless unless something happens after the fact, and I'll have to run around scrambling to pick stuff up. Um, I'm pretty sure we're not going to need this in our lives. Um, now, uh, moving on from that, I'm not sure if there's any actual reading order to the Hellfire Gala books, They seem to be listed in several different orders everywhere I look. Um, I suppose we'll worry about that as we get nearer to covering them, which, oddly enough, if my math is right, we'll begin Hellfire Gala coverage with episode 211, which is exactly 100 episodes after we started X of Swords. That was episode 111, so how about that? Uh, For today, though, we're just going to cover them in the order that they're presented here in this magazine. And that starts with 
undoubtedly not the first part. I don't think this is the first part here. This is Planet Size X-Men. This is the big book of the month. By Jerry Duggan and Pepe Larraz, $5. The headline is, They Came to Slay. Ugh. <clears throat> Ugh. Okay, the blurb. The Hellfire Gala rages on, but bigger things are afoot a world away. Make no mistake, this is an X-Men book drawn by superstar artist Pepe Larraz. It is absolutely the most important issue of the month. And wow, that sounds like the kind of blurb I'd write for an episode of this show. Doesn't give a whole lot of information, but it does its best to hype things up. Uh, I will say I'm a little concerned that it sounds like we might be getting, you know, dealing with yet another interplanetary threat. I guess that's just what the X-Men are now, unfortunately. Uh, but it is Jerry Duggan, so I I am very, very hopeful, of course. Uh, the cover, eh, I mean covers. It's just a static shot of Gene, Iceman, Storm, and Magneto just staring at us menacingly. Uh, kind of in the vein of, in the vein of, but not totally like, uh, like New Avengers number one. When New Avengers number one hit, that kind of became like, okay, this is what Marvel covers are now. Just the group looking at us. And we're getting, you know, 8,000 flavors of it now. And this is more of that. Next up, we got Marauders number 21. Again, Jerry Duggan with art by Matteo Lali. Another $5 book. Also, hmm... Chris Claremont and John Bolton reprint material. Okay. The headline is, Welcome to the Hellfire Gala. The blurb is, The Hellfire Trading Company has put together the biggest event of the season, the very first Hellfire Gala. Everyone will be there. All your favorite mutants, their closest allies, even their worst enemies. For a night of dinner, drinks, diplomacy, and deceit. Fireworks to follow. Plus, from the archives, a classic X-Men tale with our very first look at a Hellfire Gala by Chris Claremont and John Bolton. Wait a minute. I I thought this was the first Hellfire Gala. How can we have a story from the archives also be the first Hellfire Gala? I don't know, but I guess uh, we're going to do whatever we need to do to squeeze another book out of the readership. Um, Now, if I were to guess, I would suggest that this is probably going to wind up being our Official, unofficial part one of the Hellfire Gala. And the cover features Emma Frost wearing a very fashionable take on Steve Martin's arrow through the head gimmick headgear. You know the one, right? Next up, X-Force number 20. Ben Percy, Joshua Kassara, $4. The headline is, Invite Only to the Hellfire Gala. The blurb is, it's party time, but somebody's gotta work it. And when uninvited, when invited guests and a few crashers prove to be planted antagonistic agents, X-Force will need to get their hands dirty and keep this all under wraps before anyone catches wind. Okay, this sounds pretty fun. Um, using X-Force's bouncers is a pretty good angle here. I, I kind of dig this. It's the dirty work, right? I, I like that. Uh, the cover has Quentin undoing the velvet rope for someone holding an invitation, and he is flanked by Sage, Beast, Domino, and Wolverine. Definitely looking forward to that one. It could—it sounds like it could be a lot of fun. Uh, speaking of looking forward, uh, Hellions, number 12. Zeb Wells, Steven Segovia, $4. Headline is, Who Invited the Hellions to the Hellfire Gala? To which I will answer, whoever did needs to be given a raise, because we need more Hellions stuff in this world. The blurb is, who thought it was a good idea to invite the antisocial Hellions to the fanciest bash of the year? Oh, no one? They weren't invited, but they showed up anyway? Yeah, that sounds about right. 
well, hell, how can this not be a slam dunk? You know, um, this is going to be a fun one. It's worth noting, the Hellions were all given new duds for the event. You know, um, in the Hellfire Guide, I mean, they, they all have their new outfits. Which you probably wouldn't dole out if you weren't inviting these people, right? Unless maybe one of the clones of Bar Sinister is a fashion designer and just didn't want them to feel left out? I don't know. Uh, the cover features a food fight, and I already can't wait. That's going to be fun. Uh, Excalibur number 21. Teeny Howard, Marcus Toe, four bucks. Headline reads, Richter Hates Parties. The blurb is, even the nice ones. And with Captain Britain's return to a changed world, this one is looking to be not so nice. Excalibur's earth-shattering Hellfire Gala issues will, cha- will change Krakoan diplomacy forever. Wow, that's that's uh, you know, some strong words there, quite a bit of hype. Um, also, kind of a spoiler regarding Betsy Britain, but I mean, what are you going to do? I tell you, I am perfectly willing to keep an open mind on this one, so long as we don't spend half the issue in friggin' Otherworld. I mean, you know what, I take that back. As So long as we don't spend a single panel in Otherworld. Let's not do Otherworld at all, right? Let's please not do that. The cover features Richter walking away from the party, leaving a wake of torn-up earth behind him. Uh, poor Sebastian Shaw seems to have fallen in the resulting chasm. Chasm, however you pronounce that word. And we get a good look at a lot of these costumes here, and uh, wow, a lot of them are very, very ugly. (laughs) Very ugly. Uh, Next up, X-Men number 21, by Hickman and Friends, $4. The Heroes of Krakoa debut is our headline, and our blurb is as follows. It's a changing if the guard, I think they mean of the guard, a changing of the guard is the first X-Men team of Krakoa debuts. One era ends as one new one begins, and the handoff happens here. Now, if only we didn't already have the new team spoiled for us. This might be something worth looking forward to. Um, Plus, you know, if I were a betting man, which I'm not, I would suggest that we've already seen a lot of the pages that we're being expected to pay for in this issue. Uh, We saw over the course of the past several weeks uh, the voting results, right? And those all came in a page or two of art, and I'm guessing that they will probably be part of this uh, $4 issue. But it's not the first time that X-Men has expected us to pay money for something we've already read, is it? Um, Now, worth noting, this is the final issue, which makes it the shortest volume of adjectiveless X-Men ever. Like, not uncanny, not astonishing, just adjectiveless X-Men. X-Men Volume 4 would run 26 issues. Volume 3 ran 41, Volume 2 ran for over 20 years, and Volume 1 ran until issue 142 when it was officially renamed Uncanny. So this, Volume 5, is the shortest adjectivelist X-Men ever. Uh, While on that topic here, uh, the most recent Uncanny volume, Volume 5, ran one whole issue longer than this, wrapping up with issue number 22, Though in fairness, there was a three-issue War of the Realms tie-in that ate up a few of the legacy numbers. Uncanny Volume 4 would only run 19 issues, so that's the shortest one overall. Volume 3 made it 35 issues, Volume 2 made it 20 issues, and Volume 1 made it the better part of a half century. (sighs) Simpler times. Um, Now the cover to this issue here, X-Men Volume 5, Number 21, is a fairly baffling array of characters all posed and looking at us. Only two of the 11 characters here will actually wind up joining the team. 
So I don't know if they're trying to uh, fake us out or uh, maybe they didn't realize they were going to spoil the thing uh, two and a half months before the fact. I don't know. Next up, X Corp number two. Teeny Howard, Alberto Fochi, $4. Headline, a shark in the water. Blurb, after X-Corp's shocking debut, they got fences to mend, hands to shake, and most importantly, a board to staff. With Dr. Jamie Madrox's top-class dupes staffing the Hellfire Gala, CXOs Monet and Angel must stalk the dance floor and hope that they don't get preyed on themselves. Alright, so this is a five-issue miniseries, right? Yes? Why, in all hells, is it getting tangled up in a crossover, then? We only have five issues of this book. I mean, on the topic, do we need this? I mean, after this issue, we're going to be nearly half done with the run. And if this blurb is to be believed, we're just barely getting to staffing the board? Halfway through? I'm... I'm, uh, To be honest, I'm I'm dreading this one. Not looking forward to it. Uh, The cover has a woman who may or may not be Monet drinking a martini that has an olive with a pitchfork sticking out of it in the glass. So there's that. New Mutants number 19, Vita Ayala, Alex Linz, $4. The headline is, and I'll cry if I want to. The blurb, the Hellfire Gala is here, and the New Mutants have the chance to take a break from training the youth of Krakoa, an opportunity to get dressed up and get down. But not everyone is on their best behavior, and someone has vanished without a trace. I feel like every solicit this month talks about someone misbehaving at this party. Hmm. Worth noting, no Rod Reese on art, which of course is a shame. The cover is an attempt at Sienkiewicz Rice surrealism with uh, by Martin Simmons, uh, who does a pretty good job. And it's the New Mutants entering the party with Emma Frost stood before them. Next up, Sword Number Six, Al Ewing, Valerio Shidi, four dollars. The headline is "This Is What Comes Next," which I feel like is the headline for every issue of this title so far. Uh, the blurb reads as follows. On Earth, the Hellfire Gala is in full swing. But on Sword Station 1, a very different guest list comes together, as Abigail Brand finally reveals her plans for Mysterium and the future of human and mutant kind. So this one seems like a nebulous tie into the gala at best. Uh, maybe we'll call this a fabulous sky crossover? It's not a red sky crossover. Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I, was, I was hoping that planet-sized X-Men would be our only space-based chapter, but I guess not. Uh, the cover has the sword crew stood before that weird hunk of matter that they found back in issue one, the Mysterium. And there are various generic Marvel aliens reflected in the abstraction. So that's that. Uh, next up, Wolverine number 13, Ben Percy, Scott Eaton, $4. Headline, Hellfire Compromised. Blurb, can Wolverine and X-Force keep the peace, or is the gala doomed? So this kind of looks like it'll just be part two of the X-Force bouncer story. So, uh, you know, kind of like we did with X of Ten's Wolverine and X-Force installments melding into one another. Uh, The cover has me excited, because it features Wolverine fighting Deadpool. So hopefully this will be a fun one. Next up, Way of X number three. Cy Spuria, Bob Quinn, four bucks. Headline reads, Make More Mutants. Right here at the gala with everyone watching? Uh, uh, the blurb, It's the Hellfire Gala hangover. Nightcrawler tries to root out the evil working to destroy Kokoa by investigating all its laws, starting with... Sexy saxophone solo? Okay. 
Um, the cover has Nightcrawler, Pixie, and Dr. Nemesis all drunken-like. There's also a pointy-eared baby floating above the table. So might this be our final chapter, since it's the gala hangover? Maybe, maybe not. Because next up, we got X-Factor number 10. Leia Williams, David Baldion, four bucks. The Last Dance is our headline, and the blurb reads as follows. At the Hellfire Gala, secrets will be revealed. Vengeance will be had. And someone's number is up. You'll never guess whose. So are we pretending that life and death matters again? Or is this just a hint that Polaris won the X-Men vote and might be leaving the team? I don't know. So maybe maybe Way of X isn't the final chapter. Maybe this is the final chapter. Maybe it's kind of like the Phalanx Covenant where we have the different waves. So like maybe X-Factor and Way of X are part of like Wave 3. You know, blood signs or <laughs> life signs or whatever the hell it was. Maybe that's what it is. Um, I figure we're probably just going to have to wait until the official coming soon page for June to know for sure, which... For someone like me who likes to have everything kind of in place before the fact is one of those things that makes me itch. Now the cover features an X-Factor dance-off. We got Children of the Atom number four. Vida Ayala, Paco Medina, four bucks. Headline, Dreams Die Young. Blurb, Krakoa is opening its doors for the Hellfire Gala. Sounds like the perfect opportunity for the Children of Adam kids to visit. After all, Krakoa is their home, Right? What can stop them? Or rather, who? Now I thought, correct me if I'm wrong here, because I very well might be. I didn't think that the gala was happening on Krakoa. I thought it was happening on Emma's island in, in the Faroe Islands. I thought that was kind of the whole point of buying the island, was to have the gala there. I could be wrong. Maybe I read it the wrong way. Now this doesn't look like it'll be an official Hellfire Gala tie-in chapter. There's not even any branding on the cover to, to say otherwise. Um, I suppose we'll just have to wait and see before we classify it Because I'm very anal about how I classify things uh, Feels like uh, just more of the same from this book You know, the same mystery We've only read one issue so far Or I've only read one issue so far I think there's two out right now But it still feels like uh, we're we're dragging out the, uh, the same mystery I hope we're not dragging it out too long uh, the cover is a generic action shot, and if not for the number four on it, you'd never know it wasn't the same cover of the first issue, which we already read. Next, cable number 12, Jerry Duggan, Phil Noto, $4. Cutting the cord is our headline. The blurb is, young Mr. Summers sends his regrets. He will not be attending the Hellfire, Hellfire Gala this year or ever again. Now, as we've discussed, this is the final issue of Cable. And the cover is Old Man Cable's face. So, huh. Huh. Looking forward to this one, of course. It's odd to me that they didn't try to squeeze an extra buck out of us for it. It's just $4. But I am definitely looking forward to it here. And I actually had a dream about this book, which might say more about me than anything else here. I dreamt about this book, and in it, we found out that uh, this wasn't Old Man Cable. Kid Cable goes away. But the man we think is Old Man Cable is actually Strife. I wonder. I wonder if that could be the way we're going here. Maybe Kid Cable will be replaced by Strife, and everyone will think he's Cable. Huh. Well, stranger things have happened. And if it does turn out to happen, then we can say we uh, we thought of it first. <laughs> we figured it out first. I don't know. Uh, next up, uh, Marvel Voices Pride Number 1. This features many, many, many creators and has a... Ten dollar price tag? Ten bucks? 
Okay, uh, ring in Pride Month with this amazing assembly of writers and artists from all walks of life. We got Wiccan and Hulkling, Iceman, Mystique and Destiny, Karma, Akihiro, Nico Minoru, and Cal- Carolina, California Dean. No, Carolina Dean. Celebrate these and so many more legendary characters from across the Marvel archive. $10? Okay. Well, reading those names, uh, one of those stories immediately jumps out at me, and I'm very curious to see if it's one that'll be presented with a uh, present-day twist. And that story is Mystique and Destiny. Huh. You know, we got we got questions about the two of them here, especially in light of the fact that uh, poor Destiny is a no-fly zone, right? She's a no-go on Krakoa. They're not bringing her back, and Mystique might be getting ready to burn the place down. I, you know, I, part of me wonders if Marvel would slide a story with actual big-time Krakoan ramifications into this anthology. I... Kind of doubt it, but fingers crossed that they do That said, I mean, ten bucks is a big ask uh, That's a lot of money um, Cover, it's a, well, one of the, like, Skady 800 covers for this issue uh, It features Dakin, Dakin, Angela, Northstar, and one of the Power Pack kids So I think that's probably the one that I will be getting I don't think I ordered a variant, I think I ordered just the, the main one Next up, a book we're not going to be talking about Demon Days Mar- Marico number 1 Peach Momoko, five bucks. It's more Demon Day stuff with 8,000 variant covers, and we will not be dedicating an episode to any of these, and I figured I'd just include it here for completionist's sake. Speaking of completionist's sake, Guardians of the Galaxy number 15. Al Ewing and Juan Frigeri, uh, $4. Guardians vs. Sword is our headline. The blurb is, in the wake of the... Snark War, and reeling from revelations of their own, the Guardians come face-to-face with the Sword Station crew, including their quiet council liaison Magneto, and he's not known for friendly chats. It's the Human Rocket versus the Master of Magnetism, and it's winner-take-all. Well, yep, we're going to be covering this one. (laughs) And, uh, I mean, don't look now, it's another space book, so... We're going to be space-heavy in June, it looks like, or... Or, you know, if I'm being honest, maybe not any heavier than we usually are on this show. Who knows? Now, a book that has absolutely nothing to do with the X-Men, but I saw the blurb, and actually it's just a headline for it, and I couldn't help but to kind of snicker. Um, Non-Stop Spider-Man number four. Spider-Man versus Baron Zemo. Nuff said. Really now? (laughs) Nuff said? Like, are, are we chomping at the bit to see this? I don't know. I just saw that and thought it was, like, way out there. Um, Now, those are all the single issues, but we do have some collected editions coming out here. Uh, We have several dozen King of Black collections, if you're interested in that. Um, Now, as far as the X stuff is concerned, we got Wolverine, Black, White, and Blood Treasury Edition. 136 pages, 30 bucks. Now, someone a while back asked why I didn't include these in the X-Lapse rotation. Um... And they're kind of a take on Batman black and white With just splashes of red And it's anthology stuff And I didn't think it was absolutely necessary to cover Since as far as I know The stories aren't based in this current day Krakoan era Now, that said, I haven't read it So if anybody knows different Please let me know And I will, uh, I will include anything that, uh, that we need to include uh, 30 bucks for 136 pages That is... That's a bit steep Um... Next up, Reign of X, Volume 1. 160 pages, 18 bucks. 
This includes Sword Number 1, X-Men Volume 5, Number 16, X-Force Number 5, and Hellions 7 and 8. So only five issues included. Hmm. And I guess this answers some folks' questions about whether or not Marvel was going to continue the Dawn of X anthology collections after X of Swords. And our answer is, well, yes and no, I guess, because we have anthologies still coming out. They're just renamed and renumbered under the uh, Reign of X, you know, uh, branding. And uh, I still think this is a fantastic idea. I love the idea of these anthologies. And uh, coming soon, we're actually going to be doing a project here on the channel that we'll be utilizing those anthologies, so uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, we got Modoc Head Games, the collected edition here, 120 pages, 16 bucks. I'm only including this since we did cover an issue of this on the show. Um, a very fun issue, and uh, this collection might just be worth a peek. X Men Epic Collection, Volume 19, Mutant Genesis, 472 pages of $40. This collects Uncanny X-Men 278 through 280, plus Annual 15. X-Factor 65 through 70, plus Annual 6. X-Men Volume 2, number 1, 2, and 3. And New Mutants Annual, number 7. That's a heck of a collection, and I put a note here saying that I need to check how deep a discount DCBS sells these at. And I found out. They're 40 to 50% off there. And I mean, I'm not getting paid to plug these people, but... Uh, 20 bucks for 500 pages of X-Men, that's, that ain't bad at all. If you, uh, if you got the 20 bucks to swing and you have any interest in this, I would, I'd recommend doing it. Uh, next up, New Mutants Epic Collection, Volume 5, Sudden Death. 464 pages, 40 bucks. Collects New Mutants issues 55 through 70 in annual number 4. This is still pre-Liefeld stuff, uh, and this features the animator and bird brain. So, uh... If that's your thing, this is for you. We got the Wolverine Epic Collection, finally. Volume 3, Blood and Claws. This is 456 pages at $40. This collects Wolverine issues 31 through 44. Wolverine Bloodlust and Wolverine Bloody Choices. So, another nice, hearty volume here. These Epic Collections, man. I yeah, I went all in on the Essentials when those were the thing. And then the Epics came out, and it's like, ah, oh, man, do I need to own these things again? And I, I said, I told myself no. And now seeing them, and especially seeing how cheap they are at TCBS, boy, that's uh, I'm getting the itch. <laughs> I'm definitely getting the itch. Twenty bucks for all that stuff. I, oof, that's that's going to be a conversation I'm going to have to have with myself in front of a mirror for several minutes. I think. Now uh, let's go through the month here, so we can talk about how expensive this week's this month is going to be. Now shipping June second, Hellions number twelve. Marauders number 21, and X-Force number 20, so that's a $13 week. Shipping June 9th, we have Children of the Atom number 4, Excalibur number 21, and X-Men number 21. That's a $12 week. Shipping June 16th, we got New Mutants number 19, Planet Size X-Men number 1, X-Corp number 2. So a $13 week, unless, of course, you're a super completionist, and you're including Demon Days Mariko and Heroes Reborn Weapon X, because then you'll be up to a $23 week. Shipping June 23rd, we got Guardians of the Galaxy 15, Sword number 6, Way of X 3, and Wolverine number 13. That's a $16 week. Uh, but if you're also picking up Marvel Voices Pride number 1 that week, that'll be a $26 week. Finally, shipping June 30th, we got Cable number 12 and X Factor number 10. A Relatively cheap week, only $8. So your month 
is, if you're following all of these, is at least $62, up to $82 if you include voices, Heroes Reborn, and Demon Days. For me, it's going to be a $72 month. And I would love to hear what your pull list looks like. Uh, Definitely feel free to let me know what you're going to be picking up and if there's anything in here that interests you or anything in here that turns you off. I'd love love to chat about that kind of stuff here. But that will do it for our solicits for this month. Now, if you'd like to reach out and talk about, well, anything you want, you can do so very easily. I'm at Ace Comics on Twitter, or you can shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can find blog posts and show notes over at chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. You can chat us up on Facebook. Our little group is 90s X-Men. There's also an Instagram for 90s X-Men. Finally, for all your Chris and Reggie comics needs, you can go to chrisandreggie.podbean.com, available anywhere you find noise. And if you like what you hear there, or at least appreciate the effort behind it, please feel free to spread the word, share the shows, maybe even leave it a review on the, on the iTunes. I'm, I'm always nervous to ask about that because the last time I did, um, well, it didn't work out so well for me. I think someone actually went in there and changed a five-star review to a four-star review. So fingers crossed that that doesn't happen here. I know I'm testing fates, but... Uh, Anything we can do to uh, help grow the show and grow awareness that the show is here. I, I do spend a whole lot of time on it, so the more the merrier. So anything you can do to help would be most appreciated. Speaking of appreciated, I want to thank you all so much for sharing a, a bit of an extended bit of your time today. I definitely appreciate it. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya. See ya.